A citizen, he keyed up and he said, officer's down, uh, officer's deceased. Said, you know, is he dead? And he said, I just need to talk to you face to face. I just threw the phone down. And... You know, life was good. It really was. We had a, a lab and a new baby and... Welcome back, Blue Grit family, watchers, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> voyeurs. Man, uh, you know, the last couple of episodes, this is, uh, what, f- of the four that I have been on, Clint McNear has been absent for three of them. Well, you know, you may have a replacement sitting over here for Clint. I might. For Clint. I might. I've got a co-host today, a good friend of mine and a field rep with TNPA, Tony Wright. Tony, welcome to the Blue Grit Podcast. You know, I've been trying to get on this thing for a while. You have. So I guess, so I guess, it, I guess it all worked out for me this time. Those yeah. happened to be in Austin yes. whenever Clint double-booked himself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, welcome welcome to the show. Uh, you're going to co-host with me today. Actually, you're going you're gonna to interview me and a, and a close friend of mine uh, who I consider a close friend, and we've been through... Uh, a really interesting story that we're going to share uh, with the world today. Michaela Burns. Hi. Welcome on. Thank you for having me. Nice meeting you, Michaela. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got an interesting show today, but before we dive into this, you guys subscribe to the channel. uh, And again, download these, these uh, episodes with, that's how we kind of judge the analytics Uh, for you. For y'all that don't know, you really don't, you can't judge a podcast channel by the listeners. You have to download, or you have to, judge them by the amount of downloads. So it's really, really, really important, you know, for you guys that don't uh, download the episodes, it, it helps us out by, by downloading these. So if you would go ahead and click that auto download on whatever platforms you guys, uh, you guys listen to. So I got to admit something, Tony, uh, Michaela, <laughs> this is her second time on the show, but this is probably her first time to debut for the people that are going to listen or see her. She came down a couple of weeks ago. I did. And uh, we had a technical error on a power outage here at the office. And what I did not realize is that the power outage sent our soundboard into a stock mode setting. So I drove back to East Texas extremely excited about the quality of episode that we had recorded together. Uh, That was when Clint did make it (laughs) on that episode. (laughs) So I get home. And I'm doing this magical like episode. I sit down, had a nice cup of coffee. Janet, my wife, had actually made breakfast. Uh, it was a magical morning. Like yeah. Janet actually woke up before seven o'clock, and the birds were chirping. And I sit down, and uh, there's no audio, like none. And I freaked out. I mean, I, I almost threw up. And well, so, anyway. Well, yeah, you did tell me that. You said you were very sick. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and so, there was kind of a, a, a moment where I was like, well, I've got to let Michaela know, because I'm sure she's going to be anticipating this magical episode from Tyler Owen and Blue Grit Podcast. And so, but you took it like a champ. You took it on the chin. And, and her response was, well, hey, brush it off. It's not a big <laughs> deal. I can come back to Austin. You just let me know, and I'll be there. So, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course. Anyway, awesome. But before we dive into our story, uh, Tony, tell us a bit. You know, tell us about you and, and who you are and who you represent and what you do for TMPA and and uh, you know, tell us about you. All right. Well, um, 
you know, you're from a small town in East, well, you're from Dallas, but you live in a small town right. in East Texas. And I'm from a small town in North Texas, Farmersville, Texas is where I was born and raised. Uh, my family got there to Collin County in about 1850. So we've wow. been there. We've been there since the beginning. I always knew growing up, I'd want to be a policeman or a fireman. Probably should have went the farming route, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here I am. Uh, I started in 1989 at the at the Collin County Sheriff's Office, so I'm still still live in Collin County. From Collin County, that's where I started my career. Worked for Allen PD for a while. Left, went to Frisco, and that's where I retired from. Uh, after I retired from Frisco, I was lucky enough because Clint had an event in Plano. Showed up at that, and next thing you know, I was started working for TMPA, and that was. Eight years ago. Wow. What do you enjoy most about working for TMPA? Uh, you know, I tell everybody, everybody asks me what I do. And as a field rep, and there's, you know, several of us throughout the state, there's not many. You can't, you can't really put a label on what we do. It really is a lifestyle. And you have to be passionate about taking care of other law enforcement officers and their families. Yep. So it truly is a passion. So, I, you know, that's what I enjoy most about is just going out and, and just making a difference in a working officer's day-to-day, whether it be a legal question or a critical incident or, heaven forbid, their house burns down. Yeah. And what, and, that, and what I think is so interesting is that, yeah, I do live in East Texas, but, you know, the culture of, of North Texas and the culture of East Texas, it, it really is so much different. And and like in J, like J.P. Rodriguez down in, down in uh, you know, Westlaco in, in, in the Valley, and you, know, you got Leighton Ganary down in, in uh, you know, the, the Golden Triangle, Robbie Campbell. What makes us, I think, so unique and so awesome of all field services within TMPA is that each individual person, each field rep, uh, number one, we're all unique and we're all a lot of fun and we're all crazy as hell, quite honestly. But man, when we are when we unite, we make one hell of a team because you've got strengths that I don't have. I've got some strengths that maybe you don't have. But when we unify together and we all unite, it's 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 something magical happens. I completely agree with that. I mean, we, uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't know who your TMPA field rep is, yeah. look on the website, you know, call the 800 number and we'll, the rep will call you, but we're truly passionate about taking care of law enforcement. And I think that passion translates into the service that we provide. And I think that's what sets us apart from really everybody else in the country. I agree. I agree. 110%. 110%. There are certain events that we all together uh, I guess there's probably two or three. Uh, one of them is coming up uh, here in a couple of weeks. Uh, one being the Peace Officer Memorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you if you've never been to that before here in Texas, it's here in Austin, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna touch you know touch on that. That's where she and I kind of re reconnected. Uh, but anyway, you know, there's what seventy five, eighty thousand officers in Texas, and you come across and you start talking, you know, to guys who are, who are working or even retired officers, and there's a lot of them that have never been to the memorial. And uh, I think it's important that us, that, that we as a profession, don't forget the guys who came before us who were on that wall. And I think it's important that everybody go by when they're in Austin and, and quite honestly just pay their respects. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Speaking of the wall uh, and really another reason why we're here, uh, Michaela, you want to uh, kind of give an intro of yourself and uh, where you grew up at and, and you know, how you got introduced to the organizations that you represent and, and are a part of today. Sure. Um, my name is Michaela, like you said. <laughs> uh, I am from a little bitty town in uh, northeast Texas called Atlanta, Texas. 
Hole in the wall. <laughs> Hole in the wall. In, in Cass County. In Cass County. Yes. Um, born and raised there. Graduated from high school in 97. Um, went to school at Stephen F. Austin. Lived in Houston for a little while. Moved back to Atlanta, Texas. Because... <laughs> Wasn't quite ready for Houston. No, a little bit. Well, Atlanta to Houston. You know, when I when when I first heard of Atlanta, I had a friend of mine. I told you that mm-hmm. was from Atlanta, and uh, I'm like, "You're from Georgia?" Yeah, and he's like, "No, there's one in East Texas too." What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's small. Um, but I moved back, and I uh, I started working at the district attorney's office, and uh, that's where I met my husband Scott. He was a state trooper. He came in one day. Um, uh, not gonna lie, I kind of thought he was weird. <laughs> was really shy yeah. i said hi to him and didn't he kind of said hi but not really which you know i'm not shy at all no yeah not at all no. and so um when he was leaving you know i said bye to him and he just kind of said bye really fast and scurried off and ran right into the door <laughs> and his hat came up it was actually kind of comical um and i just remember thinking that he was kind of weird you know but uh he ended up calling me a couple of days later and asking me out on a date so we we went out and yeah. when was that that was December of 2005. Okay. December 2005. <clears throat> I actually used to work with my wife. My wife is also a retired officer, Tara. And uh, she used to always say I was the, you know, we used to see each other at work. And she said I was the the youngest, oldest looking guy she ever saw. Because <laughs> back in the time, you know, we were, it was back in the 90s and things are a little different than they were now. But, yeah, you know, she right. always gives me a hard time about that, too. There was... Little weirdness there, I think. Well, well, Scott was ten years older than me. You know, I was twenty six; he was thirty six. So, a little bit of an age gap, but I, you know, I thought he was handsome, and he seemed nice. He just seemed kind of. I mean, he ran into the door. So, yeah. what am I supposed to think? Well, there's a little age gap between my wife and myself too, and I'm not going to tell you which way it goes. But. <laughs> hmm. Let me guess. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how Scott and I met. Ended up getting married not too long after that and uh, had a baby all within a few months. That's a lot. Yeah, we met Yeah, we met in December, January, uh, got engaged in April of that same year, got married in September, uh, got pregnant in March, had her in November, and then everything happened that April. Well, that's, that's kind of why we're here today. Um, you know, I know there was an incident, and well, first of all, you said you came where you met. You were in Atlanta. Did y'all did y'all stay in Atlanta the whole time? Did y'all move? No. Well, the Cass County District Attorney's Office was in Linden, which is where I was working, and uh, he had a home in Linden, which is right by Atlanta. It's only like ten miles, maybe. So we, uh, when we got married, I moved. He had just built a house, and uh, I moved in with him. Um, so we were just living in Linden. You know, life was good. It really was. We had a, a lab and a new baby, and it was. It, it really couldn't have gotten any better at that point. You know, it was it was a good life, very good life. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> married husband, you'll stay there. So how? And I know Tyler and I talked earlier that. Um, uh, so how did y'all connect? As far as if he was up in Atlanta, or you were you close? Or? Yeah. So. Uh, 2000. So I, you know, for the listeners that, that know me or that don't know me, I, I grew up in Irving, uh, began my career at the Dallas County Sheriff's office. 
um, starting your career at that point in time, that was when law enforcement really, you know, you'd show up for a test in Irving, Plano, Frisco, there'd be 500 officers. And so uh, during this point in time, uh, I, I had just graduated the police academy. My my, my then girlfriend, uh, her father had called and said, hey, we're moving to East Texas. Uh, make me a promise that you're going to move out here within you know two years with my daughter uh, and I'll, I, I'll let you marry her. <laughs> so, of course, you know, I said yes, and I, and I moved to East Texas, and uh, I went to work at Jefferson PD. So I was 22 years old, 20, 21, uh, 21 years old. And uh, it, I'm not going to say that there wasn't some training, but it was pretty much threw me the keys and said, go go forth and conquer. And I'm, what I'm fixing to say is not any <laughs> – it's not a, a, a being disrespectful to any state trooper whatsoever, but but please, for the state troopers that, that do listen to this podcast, understand that that when I was 21 years old, the perception, in my opinion, was that you guys were like iconic. I mean, you guys were intimidating. You guys had a very established, uh, very reputable. It was a huge agency. And it was some. It, it was an agency that I that I wanted to be a part of. It was a very respected, uniform military type organization, just as such as like Dallas Police Department, Dallas County Sheriff's Office. Like that's something that I wanted to be. And to follow through with that, Scott saw her husband. He was so approachable, and 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 at that point in time, a lot of cops they weren't. Uh, well, especially when you're the young 21, yeah. 22 year yeah. old, you know, you, know and, you don't have that person that's going to take you under the wing, especially no. in, a, in a small town like, well, like mean, Jefferson where you're working. And think about this. He didn't even work for my agency. This was a six, seven man department. And so Scott literally would, would show up to work him and another guy named Mike Horn. Uh, they would show up to work and work with me and get in the same car with me. I mean, so I want, I want you to think about that. The man would get in the same car with me or have me ride with him. And we would do traffic stops. He he would essentially be my FTO without asking for FTO pay, without doing any of the FTO paperwork, probably violating violating DPS <laughs> policy. DPS would shit if they knew that he was doing that. <laughs> quite honestly, you probably. know. Probably. <laughs> but he did it because he wanted me to be better and he wanted me to be safe. That's why he did it. And so I just man, he mentored the hell out of me. And 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 I and to this day, Mike Horn. Whenever I do see him, I, I I hug the hell out of him. And it just I've got so much respect for those guys. And when I say that we were a family, and and that's honestly, and what was so hurtful about the whole situation was that, you know, me, me and my wife were not from the area. And so if you if you put this in context or think about it, uh, I knew that Scott was was on maternity leave because Michaela was you know she just had the baby. And so Scott was out for several months and the week prior to this incident, uh, we had all hung out and I mean the entire Marion County Sheriff's office, again, an, a 15, 12 man agency, every single state trooper that was assigned to Marion County, which is three, two game wardens. And there was five city of Jefferson police officers. So the entire law enforcement of that County all hung out together at a party. Okay. So it was the first time that my wife and Michaela got to hang out and meet each other, which we were very close in age, which we didn't have any friends in Jefferson because we were the outsiders. And and let's face it, some cops wives 
can be different to other cops' wives. And so my wife really was like, man, hey, I've actually got to hang out with another cop's wife that's my age, and we've got a lot of, we got a lot in common, you know. And and so this was uh, the, the first week, and so they I think they exchanged numbers. They planned on maybe going out, you know, the, the following week. And, and, and it was just a really good weekend. And so the next, the following weekend, um, me and, me and Janet went out to, for our anniversary and me and Scott talked and, and bullshitted back and forth. And, you know, their, their baby was three months old. And, and again, you know, he was continuing to kind of talk up with me and I'd, I'd been on for about a year now, but this was all prior to him mentoring me. So the day of the incident was a Sunday afternoon, um, I worked to 7P to 7A. I checked on around 6 o'clock. Uh, wasn't much going on. Uh, I checked on early. I saw Scott briefly. He said, hey, I'm going to run some traffic up by the lake. Where Marion County sits is about 50 miles south of Texarkana, and we are approximately 20 miles west of the Louisiana state line, and we are 20 miles north of Marshall, Texas, for the, for the listeners that understand this. It sits between Lake of the Pines and Caddo Lake, Texas. Lake of the Pines, this like this, and I don't know why this is. Maybe you can answer this. I don't know why, but a lot of lakes in Texas, for whatever reason, seems to, to drag up a lot of methamphetamine users and dope users and crime. And I don't know why, but it seems to just attract shitbirds, you know. That, that is very true. Yeah, and I don't know why that is. When I grew up, we have Lake Levon, then you have, well, I don't know how you pronounce it, Kaleoki around Princeton, Texas that, you know, there was always a lot of stuff going on out yeah. there. So, uh, so Scott said, Hey, I'm fixing to run some traffic up by the lake and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll meet you back in town and we'll get some, we'll, we'll go get some dinner. I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So around seven fifteen, well, about seven thirty, uh, he, he had made one traffic stop. I knew where he was at. And, and for the, for to put stuff in context, we had one sheriff's office radio you know, channel, so on the channel, it was DPS, game wardens, the the police department, and then the sheriff's office. So he cleared that traffic stop. And and why I've, I've never really asked this, and I, maybe I can ask Mike Horn. Scott or Mike never never carried a portable radio. He would, uh, and and for the guys that have been on the street a long time, DPS had a system or a way they set their radios up that you could set it on a PA setting or setting to where when they were out of the vehicle. They could listen. Uh, the radio transmission would be put on their PA system on the front of their speaker. That's how Scott liked to do it. That's how maybe the guy that trained him did it. And that's just kind of the only way you would ever see Scott wear a portable radio or on special events or when he got transferred to like a task force. If he got transferred, that's the only time that I ever saw him wear a portable. And you may not, you may have never heard that before. I don't Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I remember if he, I mean, yeah. obviously he didn't. Well, but, that's some know. of the differences right there just between, you know, a rural county out in East Texas where everybody's yeah. running off of one mm-hmm. dispatch mm-hmm. as opposed to where I am in the Metroplex where you, know, you have multiple channels at the same PD, yeah. you know, for different sectors or, you know, different zones. Yeah. So, so he would never carry a portable and it wasn't, it just, that, that was just the way he operated is that he would always go back to the vehicle. And that's how it was. My point being is that if he ever got in a foot chase, it was not uncommon for him for not to have radio traffic with him. So he began to call out that he was in a vehicle pursuit. And so I start to kind of head that way. Um, as, as did some other County deputies. Are you working for the you're working at Jefferson PD right yep, at this yep, point? Yep. Jefferson okay. PD. And, uh, 
you know, he's heading, he's heading back into town. He's headed south. And so uh, he said he's fixing the bail. He's, you know, he's, he's fixing the bail, which tells us that he's fixing to be, you know, on, on, on foot. And as I'm driving to him, I just had this weird, sick feeling. Uh, something's not right because there was a time frame that didn't, that something was off. Minutes, you know. And for those that have ever driven a Crown Vic, I'm not sure how fast that thing went. Um, but it went from fast to super fast. And I just had this sick feeling that something was not right with my friend, you know. And uh, as I was driving, <clears throat> a, uh, a citizen happened to see what was going on. And I'll never forget this. He keyed up and he said, officer's down, uh, officer's deceased. So a citizen got on the radio in the car yeah. at this point. Yeah. And calls that out. And of course everybody's trying to get to the scene. So yeah. I can imagine yeah. what happened when that came over the radio. So uh so I showed up and uh, Scott was in he was in bad shape. And uh the suspect had already fled, you know, the scene. And it it was it was obvious to me that, you know, he he was already he was already gone. Um so I, I immediately began you know, giving suspect information updates. Well, how did you how did you have the suspect? Was it just from the radio traffic initially? Up the to radio the- traffic, uh, and then I began asking the witness that was there, "Hey, you know what what was he driving?" And so I began to radio that in of what direction, which way he was going, because the the FM road we were on was only one way to go, and so the responding deputy was coming in off off that off that way, and so, uh, but I immediately began thinking, you know, she's got a three month old at the house. And how is this, you know, this is a small town and she can kind of expand upon this later on. My biggest fear was what happened, like, you know, um, and, and she'll talk about that later on. But I secured the crime scene. I, I, I began to notify, you know, the, the DPS sergeant. But the, the dip, most difficult thing I had to do was to put things in context. The two state troopers that were, there was three stationed in Marion County, Scott Burns, Mike Corn. Another guy named James Jordan. Mike Horn and Scott Burns were best friends. Grade school up, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Both went through the TDC together. Uh, I believe Mike was a lieutenant. Scott was a captain. I think Scott was a sergeant um, with uh, TDCJ. I could be wrong, though. That was before me. Yeah. Mike, I just remember he has a plaque that says sergeant. Uh Mike had talked Scott into joining both work for the prison system and Mike talked Scott into coming and joining DPS. And so to make that call to his best friend to say, Hey, I'm standing here with him and I need you to let his wife know before it gets to her. You know, it was just a really, really, really bad situation. Uh, it is horrible. And this is, so this is, is it, I don't, is it April? April 29th. And uh, dark outside, I'm assuming. No, it was uh, dusk. It was still yeah, it was dusk. You know, so now <laughs> we've got a you know we've got a kind of manhunt. You know, at this point, uh, and I mean it 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 you know flooded police at that point. So uh, suspect information was given out really quickly. DPS was able to get the uh, they weren't able to get the camera footage because of the extent. 
quickly. It, it took a little bit because of the gunfire that took place. Uh, he was able to shoot some of the video camera footage. But within, I think, maybe three or four hours, they were able to get a bolo out for him, a beyond lookout, and a suspect identified in warrants cut. So, obviously, you've just gone to the worst possible scene that you can imagine going to, rolling up, and, you know, here in this pursuit, your friend is, is obviously injured. So, you make that decision to call his best friend. And then, Michaela, how did you, what, I mean, were you at the house, I'm, I'm assuming, everything normal that day? and. It was normal. <laughs> it it, it right. had been normal, um, normal day like any other. I worked my eight to five. Actually, Scott and I had lunch earlier that day because uh, he was working two to eleven. So uh, he stopped by to get me, and we went and we ate, and uh, you know, got off work at five like I always do. Ran into Atlanta <laughs> to run some errands, and uh, my mom would keep my daughter. She babysat for me, so I went to my parents' house. And I was watching, she would usually make dinner and I would eat. And when Scott worked late, I would kind of take my time going home, you know, just because he wasn't going to be at home. So, you know, I was just sitting there and uh, just got through watching American Idol. (laughs) Actually, he had called me earlier, too. I talked to him um, about seven. He called and uh, just said that he had pulled someone over earlier and whatnot. And I mean, you know, asked me what I was doing. I told him I was watching American Idol and he said, we'll have fun with that. Cause he hated it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I told him that, you know, I was, it was going to be finishing up soon and I'd see him when he got home and I loved him. He told me he loved me too. And you know, it was the last time I talked to him and uh, you know, it, it's weird because like looking back on things, how my family was acting was well. So basically it was about eight o'clock. And obviously American Idol had ended. So I was putting, you know, getting my daughter ready to, you know, for us to leave. I was putting her diaper bag in the car and uh, my brother called. And um, I answered and I said, hello. And, you know, he just kind of sat there for a second and he was like, hey. I said, hey. <laughs> you know, he's like, is mom there? And I said, yeah, she's here. And he goes, can I talk to her? And I said, sure. And I just handed the phone to her. You know, like I said, now, looking back, uh, you know, he had a weird tone in his voice. Um, but I just went outside and kept doing what I was doing. And my mom came out there and she sat down and, you know, she said, uh, Kayla, did you just talk to Scott? And I said, yeah, you know, I just talked to him. And she said, well, um, try to call him, you know. So I called him because I thought that he called. And usually when I would call him, if he was on a traffic stop, he would call me right back. Mm-hmm. You know, so I called and he didn't answer. So I left him a voicemail and then I handed the phone back to my mom and I said, you know, here, here's, you know, he, he didn't answer. I just kept going about my business and, you know, <laughs> I can see her now just kind of, she's sitting in this rocking chair outside and, you know, she just didn't look right. But of course at the time I couldn't see that, you know, she just said, well, you know, can you just, can you just try to call him again? And I was like, you know, did he call or something? And she said, well, I don't know, just call him. So I called him again and he didn't answer. So I said, mom, he's not answering. He'll call me back in a minute. You know, and she said, okay. And I said, what, what is going on? And she said, well, I don't know, but, uh, you know, he could have been in some kind of accident. So of course I'm like accident, you know, what, where is he at a hospital? You know, cause I'm thinking car accidents, right. you know, um, but what had happened, you know, apparently the situation was my, my brother that called my brother, Mike, his, uh, his in-laws were at a, at a baseball game. In Atlanta, and this is small t- small town for you. Yeah, small town. And the sheriff happened to be there with his radio blasting, and um, you know it came over the radio that you know 
state trooper or a cop. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure how it came over the radio, but basically that he was dead. So what you're telling me is, is your your brother was at a baseball game? My brother's in laws were at a baseball game. My brother wasn't even there. He was at home. So the in laws just overhear this on the radio, mm-hmm. freak out, and then word trickled back. They call my they call my brother, or, you know, they call my sister in law, their daughter, and they're crying because they hear that Scott was dead. And my brother, you know, so my sister in law's freaking out, crying. He's like, just calm down, calm down. You know, Kayla hasn't even called. No one's called us. You know, it's probably just, you know, a mistake. So when he called, it threw him off a little that I answered because, but it kind of made him feel better. Yeah. You know, because I answered. Um, but uh, to this to this day, and you you may not know this, and this is it, so. There's two there's two things that, that are you know as cops, and and you with the organization, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Of like flashbacks, yeah. But when when you were calling, um, that's one thing. Cause if I'm if, I'm, if I remember correctly, he had a flip phone. If I remember correctly, and that and I remember the phone going off and me standing there looking. Oh really? Yeah, well, I didn't know that. I called a lot. <laughs> Once I found out that he like had been in an accident, yeah. um, I kept calling and I kept calling and I yeah. kept calling. Yeah, I called several times, yeah. you know, because then I was like freaking out, you know, maximum freak out level at that point. Just panic. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, because you're hearing something that, you don't. Know, nobody's really telling you what's going on. You don't know. You're yeah, kind of hearing and, third party. And no one ever said he was dead. They right. said accident. So, well, and, you know, I'm thinking he's in a car accident. And, and you know. for the listeners to understand, the family of Scott, the town, they, the, I mean, this is the stereotypical hometown boy. The family had a feed store. I mean, this is your rule, stereotyped East Texas family. I mean, mm-hmm. loved, the entire town loved the Byrne family. I mean, it's so when, when word got out, Marion County is where he was stationed at, which is just south of Linden. We asked for assistance from Cass County, which is his hometown, his home county. And then word really began to get out quickly. And so that's another way or how word began to tra- you know, travel. So at this point, so you're finding out third party. You've called his best friend. Who's also a DPS trooper. Who's also a DPS trooper. So how did how did you finally find out? So, you know, I kept calling Scott and calling Scott and calling Scott. Um, and how, and that's got to be all, because, you know, obviously Tyler and Scott were friends, mm-hmm. mentor, looked up to Scott. All of a sudden he sees you calling on that phone and he knows he can't. Yeah. Oh, well, that's horrible. That's that is horrible. I didn't know that actually. I'm yeah. sorry. That's well, so sad. You know, <laughs> you know. I think I think every. I don't know what people what some people's perceptions are, but you know, I mean, we're human. Yeah. I mean, police officers are human. Mm-hmm. That's the absolute worst thing that you know I can imagine yeah. happening. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it for everybody, you know. And so you know, after calling multiple times, um, the phone finally rang. My parents' phone. And, you know, this is, you know, 2008. So they had, you know, it was a cordless landline, but they didn't have caller ID, you know. So Scott would always call me right back. When I called, he'd always call me right back. So when the phone rang, I just knew it was him. I knew it was him calling me back because he always did, you know. And so when I answered, I remember I had to have, like, just this, like, 
just relief in my voice, you know? And when I answered, um, <laughs> I heard it, it was quiet for a second, you know? And then I heard, um, is this Michaela Burns? And immediately, it was Mike Corn. I knew his voice. And I said, what happened? And he goes, uh, I just need to talk to you face to face. Is he dead? Right. And he's like, I, I just need to talk to you face to face. So he didn't tell you at that point? No, because he, he, once again, I threw him off answering the phone. Right. You know, um, and he was actually coming up my parents' driveway. And, I, you know, once I said, you know, is he dead? And he said, I just need to talk to you face to face. I just threw the, the phone down. And, you know, I'm, I remember my mom was like, wait, let me talk to him. And I don't really remember much after that. I threw the phone down. I walked inside. Um, I think I just fell to the ground. And I remember, you know, my, my aunt, she was in there crying because apparently everyone in there knew more than what I did at that point. Um, and she was holding my daughter and, you know, my daughter's smiling at me. Right. <laughs> and I and she's, like, she's three months old at this time? Five months old, actually. Five months. She's five months old. Okay. But she was little. Three, right. five is pretty much the same thing. Right. Um, and she was just smiling and I thought, <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to get through this? Because, you know, he really loved her. You know, how am I going to get through this? It was it was very horrible. Um, and, you know, I don't know how long I was on the ground for. Probably not long. But I just felt someone, like, grab me. And it, it was Mike. It was Mike Corn. You know, and, it you know, I felt bad for DPS because nothing went right <laughs> as far as notifications that night. Um, you know, no one knew where to find me because my parents live out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they literally live out in the woods. And, you know... No one could find me. I don't even know. I don't think my cell phone was listed on his emergency contact. Um, you know, it was it was a nightmare. And, you know, to make matters worse, this is just like the most horrible thing ever. Um, Scott's parents, his dad mainly, liked to listen to the scanner. And Scott hated it. He said, I don't care if you listen to it when I'm not working, but when I'm working, don't listen to it. There's no, don't listen to it. And his mother would say, you know, don't listen to that. You know, she would get mad at Ron. Don't listen. I don't want to hear that when he's working. Well, they were listening to it that night. Wow. And, you know, when they hear that civilian get on the radio and I mean, they knew that Scott, you know, they could hear him saying things. So they knew where he was, what he was doing. And, you know, when they heard, you know, that guy scream for help, that's how they found out. Mm. Yeah, that's it was terrible. That is. That's it was horrible. terrible. So no no notifications went the way that DPS wanted it to, you know, and I always felt really bad about that for them because, you know, that's not what you want to have happen, you know, but it, it was chaos. It was a lot of chaos. And that, that's, that came in a match. So the whole thing, really, and that's one of the things I always worry about when we get critical incidents and calls and, you know, heaven forbid, you know, an officer gets killed is the way, especially now, what social media oh my goodness it just blows you know, up it just blows up and you know what do you do you remember about what time all this was eight, taking eight o'clock so that had already spread that fast and in just a matter of a few minutes i think he was really. killed at eight around eight because i remember america like you know it was after american Idol was over that's how uh-huh. i remember it's so weird yeah. what you remember and what you don't remember but um all of this was going on between like eight and nine you know like eight eight thirty nine ish, you know, I mean, just the, the chaos, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was awful. (laughs) So, so, so after that initial, you found out all this. So obviously you're, uh, 
you're still at your in-laws house. You're still in the scene. Well, yeah. Yes, sir. I was at my parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, parents, parents house. Mm-hmm. So what, so what, I mean, talk, I'm mean, talking with you the next couple hours, so, days. I know you're uh, here at work. Yeah. So DPS shows up on scene, uh, and the, the right, I mean, there was, there was a lot of, a lot of cops, a lot of, a lot of the Rangers showed up, uh, and they began, you know, the investigation, uh, within hours, they, you know, cut warrants for the guy. I know his last name was Robertson. I don't know his first name. I forgot his first name. Brandon. Brandon Robertson. Robertson. Yep. yep. Uh, we, we found out that there was a female with him during this traffic stop. He was, he, he actually, actually was an ex cop. Oh, wow. High, high on dope. And, uh, Scott just randomly, you know, did, did a traffic stop. Um, so this was on a, I recalled it on a Sunday. I guess it was on a, was it a Monday? Tuesday. Tuesday. American Idol. <clears throat> yeah. American Idol. American Idol. Okay. So. But uh, I could be wrong. It could have been on a Sunday. Yeah. I don't, I don't. So I just remember American Idol, whatever night that comes. I haven't watched it since. So. I, know, I know. Well, yeah, I, I couldn't. Imagine. They. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know that several officers, and I mean multiple officers, met that night, and uh, this the manhunt kind of went through the next day, and we all kind of made like a pack, like we want this that you know end or you know get this guy before the funeral because you know next day was they went into funeral preparations, right. So the entire East Texas region, for the most part, I mean, from Texas down to Longview, and I don't mean that broad, but all of Jefferson was, we had roadblocks. I mean, DPS, the all of region, all, all of company 1B was up there. Uh, the entire Jefferson, Marion County, Cass County shut down. There was roadblocks everywhere. So it trickled on a couple of days. She began to you know plan this funeral uh, and on. But have you during this time have you talked to Tyler at this point? Yes, yeah, so between we weren't. She and I weren't. That if was I, literally the first time we'd met each other was at that party a week before. A week before, yeah. I say if I did, I probably don't remember. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, I hadn't talked to her, and uh, honestly, I was. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure what I would have. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I, I didn't have much sleep at that point in time. Like every single cop in that area. Uh, cast in Marion counties, whether it was city, county, or state, or federal, uh, was completely devoted to trying to find this asshole that just murdered uh, a very much beloved and respected man. You know, so uh, Michaela, I think on Thursday is when you finalized the funeral, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Thursday was the um, just the family viewing. Friday was the public viewing, and Saturday was the funeral. Do you want to go into detail or, or talk about what? Yeah, because I'm curious about that, too. So once, obviously, that night, you're shocked. You're still in shock. This whole, mm-hmm. you know, who, was there a resource there or something that helped you get get through this to do the planning? There, there was. Um, so that very night, I mean, you know, I stayed up all night. I mean, mm-hmm. all this happened in the evening. Um, it, not I probably it probably wasn't even three hours. Um, Summer Wasif from uh, DPS Victim Services. She, you know, they're out of Dallas. Um, she was at my parents' house um, there with me for my, you know, support. Uh, then I remember the colonel and all these people <laughs> came out. And I, from what people have told me, even that was a whole thing in itself because you know they had to go. He 
flew in and they, I think they flew into the Tyler airport and they had to go get him from there. And to, I mean, it was just like them even trying to get him to, you know, hole in the wall place in Northeast Texas was, you know, and so they did not get there until very late. It was, I think it was probably like maybe two in the morning through, but you know, that's just their, that's what they do is they come out that night. Um, So I do vaguely remember meeting them. They were all in my parents' house and, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and then uh, Josh Mason, he was Scott's sergeant, but he was also my liaison officer. He was the one taking care of things for me. Like, you know, just he came with me to the house to pick out the uniform, um, which sucked. <laughs> I hated going into that house. It was awful because, you know, as soon as you walk in, there's like wedding pictures. And it just I, I do. I don't remember a whole lot, but I do remember that being very, very traumatic I just cried the whole time, you know, um, and, uh, Tim Smith, he actually, he was a Lieutenant with DPS. Um, he planned the entire funeral. God love him. I mean, he was amazing. Um, yeah, he didn't do anything without my say. So he always asked if, you know, but I don't know what I would have done. I don't, I couldn't have planned it. I mean, I was a mess, you know, all of us were his, uh, you know, just even, Going to pick out the casket was so surreal. You know, I'm 27 years old. No, I was 28. 28 years old picking out a casket. It just, it just didn't seem real. It was awful. Well, it's a shock. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're very vulnerable and you're, you know, you're trying to plan and planning a funeral is hard enough, but to plan a funeral for an officer that was killed in line of duty where it's exponentially larger. Oh, yeah. Is it would have to be horrible. It was, and I was very fortunate that DPS took care of literally everything for me. You know, I was very lucky. You know, some of these smaller departments, they don't have. You know, they're not lucky like that. They don't have that those kind of resources. But yeah. that's I what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, but I was very fortunate, and I'm always grateful to them because they've always taken care of me. And you know, they just they planned a beautiful funeral. You know, <laughs> what I remember of it. You know, it was, it was, it was really nice. Um, but I just remember, you know, Thursday was the family visitation and we got there. I remember as soon as I stepped out, Mike Horn was there and, you know, he handed me this little blue satin bag, you know, he's balling and it's Scott, Scott's wedding ring in it and his gold chain he always wore and, um, went inside and saw him for the first time and, you know, traumatic it was awful but when we're walking up to the funeral home i remember seeing like all these big like swat trucks going by which was unusual because you know linden has most smaller downtowns just to see that it was just very weird you know and i and i was like huh that's weird because i just remember seeing like swat and it it just it seemed out of place but i had so much going on you know that I wasn't even thinking about it and I I didn't seem like I, it didn't seem like I was in there with Scott for very long until summer, my my victim service liaison, she came running in there and she was like, Michaela, Michaela, I just want you to know it's over. I just want you to know it's over. He killed himself. Mm. He can probably go into more of that. Yeah. So, so you're at the funeral home for the family visitation that night. Y'all have had a manhunt going on now for several days. Yeah. Trying to, trying to find this guy. Yeah, so they, I guess DPS had got some intelligence that he was up uh, near a road. And the interesting thing about this was was that, you know, this was about 15 miles from where Scott was murdered at. Uh, he had he had 
driven from Jefferson to Linden. Uh, he was actually what three miles from where you you guys were having the funeral. Yeah, uh, if that, he might not have even been that far. Yeah, and he was what a quarter mile from where Scott grew up, like the, the yeah. feed store. Uh, it wasn't far. So they had got some intel that that he was kind of hid out in this cabin uh, on this back county road, and so they they ran a, a flyover. Well, when they did that, he freaked out the suspect uh, and called nine one one and started basically saying that he was going to kill the the girl that was with him. And so that's when SWAT rolled up, and that's when he went ahead and smoked himself. So when you're seeing these SWAT vehicles go by, I'm thinking that they're all there for the funeral. But in reality, they're going out to the scene where this guy is. Correct. Yeah, Correct. This, wow. was, this was the family viewing. This was not a okay. – this was not – this was literally just the family for the funeral for them. Yeah, so, it was just to be sure that everything looked good on him, right. that they didn't need to change anything before the public viewing the next night. We were we were actively still trying to get this done, taken care of before to give you know them and us honestly us closure. Right. Yeah, it was horrible actually going to the funeral home and and knowing that that guy was still out there. I yeah. do remember that. I remember, you know, because we were all you know you you become very close with all the police officers and their wives because it's a small department. You know, it's just a small area. You know, you have Christmas parties and you have barbecues and, you know, and I was terrified that he was going to kill someone else. And I just couldn't imagine someone else having to go through that, too. You know, it was it was horrible. And just him being on the loose. It was just a a day, you know, or, you know, a day or two. But it felt like forever. You know, it felt like forever. So so I was so relieved when they told me that he was dead. I was going to ask you that. So so as a victim, which which you were, Mm -hmm. um. Once once Summer comes running back in there and tells you that, so you immediately felt a little relief that oh, okay that part's yes. that part's over. Absolutely, absolutely. But but then I think what people don't realize is okay that part's over, but now you have your let's face it single mom. Now the hard part begins. Five month old baby. Mm-hmm. How do you what do you do what do you do to keep going forward? Yeah. I mean I know it has to you know I've, I, yeah. You know, I've been involved with, you know, a lot of officer-involved shootings, that kind of stuff. And and and, and the widows mm-hmm. are remarkably strong. <laughs> but, and they, but, but they all have a different story of how that, of what their life looks like. Right. So how did you, how did you keep, what'd you do? Well, I will say that if it wasn't for having a five-month-old, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I know I would have done something different, but, you know, you can't sit around and just wither away because you have a baby to take care of. Yeah. You know, I had to get up and I had to feed her and I had to keep going on with my life in a sense because nobody else is going to do it for me, nor should they have to. You know, my mom actually, um, she got sick not long after Scott died. She had lung cancer and she ended up passing away the next year. So she was sick and she couldn't help me. But I just always tried to do what I thought Scott would want me to do. And I made mistakes. I mean, I was 28. You know, they don't give you a handbook. No, we all <laughs> on make grief. mistakes. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely learned from them, you know, and I, I've been able to extend myself a little grace with that, you know. But I just stayed really involved with her. And then as a few years went by, I got involved with cops. And honestly, 
the spouse retreat was my first involvement with cops. We can, I guess we can talk about that in a yeah. day, or later or whatever. Well, what are you talking about cops? We're talking about concerns of police yes, survivors. Concerns of police uh, survivors. For people who don't know that, um, you're not the first person that I've actually heard say that, that they mm-hmm. never had really an involvement until they went to the retreat. Yes. So what did that do for you? And, and, and I guess another better question is, is, what is the retreat that you're talking about? So after the funeral and everything and things kind of died down a little, Summer, you know, told me to be looking out for this organization called the Concerns of Police Survivors. That they're going to get in touch with me. And it's really important that I answer my phone because they're going to have information on the Texas Memorial and the um, National Memorial. And she also said, you know, there's a retreat coming up, a spouse retreat for surviving spouses, and uh, it's in Potosi, Missouri, and it's in September. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really close. I mean, it was only four months. Yeah. Um, and I was like, no, nah, I don't know about that. I don't think I want to go to that. And she was very persistent. <laughs> she was, uh, almost to the point of being annoying. But I thank God that she was. She did her job because, you know, it – I made a lot of excuses why I shouldn't go. You know, I have a newborn. She's only going to be like nine months at the time. I would have to drive three hours to Dallas by myself. I had to fly by myself. These are all things I didn't want to do, you know. Um, But she really encouraged me to do it, and I did. And that was the first time in four months that I felt hope. That's good. It was because I tell people – I did have a lot of support when Scott was killed. You know, I had my family. Um, but you could be in a room with 200 people and feel completely alone because no one knew what I was going through. No one in that area had had their husband shot and killed, you know, and so no one understood what I was going through, and I felt really alone. And when I went to the spouse retreat, I almost turned around and came back. When I landed in Missouri, I had like a huge meltdown, you know. <laughs> So I was like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I look for flights on the way back, so I can't do this. But I went to the bathroom, and I kind of collected myself a little, and I was like, I'm going to at least go into the little room that you're supposed to meet in, and I'm just going to get a feel for it. You know, if they're all crazy, <laughs> I'm going to leave. And I was really hoping they were all going to be crazy because I really didn't want to be there. But I, I went down there, and immediately, immediately, they just embraced me, you know, Um well, you're part of a, you're, I hate to say it, but you're part of a small Absolutely. group of individuals mm-hmm. that nobody can understand what you've gone right. through except that other small group of individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and being at that retreat that weekend was just life. it was life-changing for the better. You know, I, I saw people laughing. You know, I didn't think I was ever going to do that again. You know, I mean, people were laughing and having a good time and they were at different stages in their grief. And I thought, okay, it's not always going to be this bad because shock is a real thing. And I was still in a little bit sense of shock when I went there. I mean, I was very numb to, you know, it was just unbelievable to me that had happened, you know, and you can't put a timeline on grief. Oh no. And I, and I think so many times that something happens to somebody, Oh, we need to get over that. Well, you know what? I I went through a spell. I lost my mom and two brothers in the matter of just, I mean, a very short period of time. And you, you can't, you can't put a time on that grief. And there's still yeah. days today where you suffer the grief. And I'm sure even today, both Absolutely. of you, you know, both of you go through episodes like that. You know, it is, it is a new normal. You know, you, you find a new normal. It changes you. Um, you can let it change you for the worse, or you can let it change you for the better. You know, and I try to take what happened and 
do a little good with it because I think that's what Scott would want, you know. And and cops is one of the things that helped me get through a lot of stuff, you know. Finding other people who understood what I was going through. Well, just finding hope. Yes. I mean, I think that's the best way you put it. Absolutely. Because at that point, I didn't think I was going to find it. There's so many cool organizations that we support being TMPA. And I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but I will say this. Concerns of Police Survivors, I think, holds a very, very special place and I think, all of our hearts because it's just a phenomenal organization for what they stand for. I mean, you can only be a a director or not not an elected official with, with cops, but you can only be on their board mm-hmm. if you're a survivor. Absolutely, yes. And that's, by God, if we don't stand for that or right. if we don't support something like that, then I don't know where well, it's at. And, and, and just the resources, what, what happens is if we have an officer who gets hurt or injured or, you know, killed in the line of duty, one of our, our very first calls is the cops. Yeah. Because y'all, are the, y'all, y'all, just like you said earlier, no one, no one knows what you've been through yeah. except people in that organization. Absolutely. So who better to help a new person in that club than somebody that's already right. been through it and understands, you know what, I went through four months with no hope. Here, here's what to expect. Here's what's going to happen. But there is some hope. Absolutely. Through that. There, absolutely. And I always tell people, you know, cops events, they can, you know, they can be overwhelming at times, you know, but I always encourage people when you, when you go to something with cops, whether it's a retreat or the memorial, any of that, I always encourage people to go twice, do it twice. Cause the first time you're just, you're, overwhelmed. it's overwhelmed. It's yeah. overwhelming. Um, but you get a, a different perspective when you go back the next time and things are a little different and you can appreciate it more. You know, so I always tell people, if you don't like it for some reason the first time, don't give up on it. Go back because it they are very beneficial. You know, people who lost their husbands, and I'm not trying to make light of anybody else's loss, you know, but when you're a police officer and you're killed, it's it's, it's different. You know, it's just a whole different element. You know, it's in the so public you know your group is quite public you know um and it's just it has a different dynamic to it and so other people who understand that dynamic really understand you and so yeah well just the whole process you were talking about you know planning the funeral well you know a a police officer who's killed in line of duty that funeral is not just like your normal funeral in Lindell, texas it's it's or linden it's 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 a huge yes it's a huge deal it was So just, you know, just logistically, you know, most people never have to go through that. It was, it was, it was a humbling experience. I can tell you that. I don't think I've ever seen that many people. So four months, go to cops retreat, come back. I mean, walk me through. I know, like I said, there's no timeline on grief, but obviously you're sitting here with us today. (laughs) You know, um, I had a, I had a few rough years, (laughs) um, I had a lot of, I also had a lot of people in my family die. My mom, you know, she died a year after Scott did. And um, then uh, like two or three of her sisters, three of her sisters died right after that. Um, my, uh, my sister died in a really tragic way. She, she killed herself. Well, she was my niece, but we were very close. She was, she was five years younger than me. So we would always kind of switch out sister, niece, depending on who we were with, but yeah. 
she, uh, you know, she took her own life. She was only 28. And then Scott's dad passed from heart attack. And then Scott's brother's wife died wow. um, from cancer. And then my dad died all within, this is all in a five-year span. Wow. So it was, it was tough, you know. Um, and so let me touch on that. So I just told you, I had my mom, two brothers, all within the, and uh, I'm, I'm all about going to see a therapist, right? They said it's almost better off if you lose everybody at once. Because what happens is what you went through is you never get a chance to grieve before you're getting hit with something else. Yeah. yeah it was, it, it's, it was back to back. I had compounded grief. Absolutely. Um, therapy. Yes. <laughs> that is one of the main things that got me through a lot of stuff is, is I visited a therapist frequently. Uh, and honestly, getting back into church helped quite a bit. Um, cause I was very angry. I was angry, you know, um, the same place that our wedding had been at just, you know, a year prior was where his funeral was. And I, I you know, I remember when I went back to church for the first time, I was mad. Micah was crying the entire time. Everybody was staring at me. It just, you know, I was mad and I didn't want to have anything to do with church or God or anything else. And, you know, I think with, you know, as the years progressed and, maturity and life life tends to grow you up faster than what you want to you know what you want to and you know just uh i think just understanding that you know things happen i I don't know why they happen i'm not here to try to figure out but you have to have to do the best with what you're given you know and i didn't want to just be a miserable person because what am i teaching my daughter you know that you know, every time bad something bad happens to you, you got to feel sorry for yourself. No, you know, you have to kind of make the best out of something. And, you know, so we, that was kind of our motto was we just tried to, you know, live our best life and, you know, therapy. Absolutely. Cops functions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, retreats. Well, you know, the more, uh, you know, Clint says it, um, it's okay not to be okay. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've had, I've had my sister-in-law, um, killed herself. I've also had since 2005, five really close friends, police officers killed themselves. That's it's terrible. okay not to be okay. Yeah. But make sure you go talk to somebody about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, and, and people get angry, but you can't, you know, God is good. Absolutely. But, but, but nobody says that God is going to be good to us all the time as far as what we think right. should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, that's just kind of how I, you know, made it through, you know, I'm still a little crazy, but (laughs) aren't we all right? (laughs) Well, I date a cop too. So that, you know, I'm definitely crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Yeah, no kidding. So I, I just met you today for the first time and, uh, I thank you for sharing your story with me. I mean, it was, I can, Especially after hearing not only, you know, your, your, your husband for a short time, but then just your family and everything yeah. that happened. Um, I can't imagine, but here we are. We're both, you know, you're sitting here today. Yeah. Smiling. You have hope. Absolutely. Life is good. It is good. Yep. You know, it's tough and you know, no one ever said it was going to be perfect. I yep. mean, I do, you know, you grieve what could have been, you know, milestones are hard. You know, my daughter's lucky because, you know, I've, I've dated Chris for 10 years and, you know, he's a police officer. He worked with Harris County for a while and he just moved out to Chambers County. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that he was there. You know, we've been dating since Micah was five. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know those little milestones and you grieve you just grieve in different ways you know and i mean i'm lucky that he was there that he's there to to kind of you know step in the role but it's still you know it's still tough and tomorrow is scott's birthday oh wow yep he would have been 54 wow you know and then he was killed april 29th so you know it is it's just sad it's sad seeing you know you always wonder you know how he would have been with micah or you know how different things might have been, you know. And so she um, she goes to kids camp, and that helped her a lot. Kids and camp's another, it's another program through another COPS, program and through that's for COPS. the children. Yes, yep. uh, you yep. have to be six, from six to 14. And she actually just graduated from kids camp this past year. And uh, she's going to she be going. she plan on getting involved or staying involved with COPS? Yes, they actually have a young adults camp in Georgia that they get to go to from uh, 15 to 21, I believe, 20, 21. So she gets, you know, she's excited about, she has to fly by herself for the first time. But, you know, she, um, I used to hate it when people would say, well, at least she was little and she doesn't remember. Yeah, no. And I always say. That's horrible. There's no good, it's, it's all bad. It doesn't matter if you have a kid that's 13, if you have a baby. It, it, it's all horrible, you know, like I couldn't imagine now telling her that her dad had died at her. Like to me, that's horrible. Like, I think that's terrible, you know, um, but when you're a baby, you're right. You, you, you don't remember because you don't have any memories, right. you know, her memories are what we give her. Yeah. And, you know, there's only a handful of pictures with her and her dad and my, you know, two years of stories. Yeah runs thin, you know, and so I always tell people, if you have a story about Scott, please tell oh, her. Man, yeah. She loves, she would love to hear, she loves talking about him, even if it's the same story over and over. She loves it because that's all she has. Well, she doesn't I'm have, you know, the story today, absolutely. Then. She yeah. doesn't have the 39 years of memories that a lot of other people yeah. do. And you I'm going to tell you this, but before you came in this morning, Tyler was telling me stories and uh, just what little bit he told me, uh, you, you, you lost a wonderful husband. I did. He was a really good man. And that's what's so tragic is, you know, when I take my daughter back to Linden and we talk to people, I can't tell you how many people said, you know, Scott was my best friend. He was my best friend, you know, because he was everybody's best friend. And that tells you what kind of man he is right there. Absolutely, He was kind to everybody. And I tell her, you know, that she absolutely has to be the same way. You know, I mean, he really was. He was very kind to people. He actually didn't like writing tickets. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, and he felt bad. Yeah. Yes, he would <laughs> feel bad. And just a quick story about him. He worked his first fatality not long before he was killed. He worked a couple of fatalities, but one um, was this older woman. And, you know, she was in a car wreck, died. And he worked that, and he absolutely, it killed him. It tore him up so much that he, you know, because he had to contact her daughter and let her know. Her daughter was in her 50s or so, you know. She was older, but it killed him that he had to make that notification. Absolutely tore him up. And he kept in touch with her. There were two fatalities that he ended up working, and he kept in touch with the the victim's families. And after he was killed, you know, they reached Mm -hmm. out to me. And one of the women, she made me this beautiful, these ornaments with our picture in it that I still put up on my tree every year. You know, she made me a scrapbook page, you know, because I, I got in contact with him after he was killed. But that's just the kind of person he was. You know, he didn't have to go back and talk to those families, you know, but he 
it hurt his heart that he had to do that, that he had to make that notification. And, you know, just I know that telling them and their reaction just was embedded in his in his heart and his brain. And it, that was just his way, I guess, of, you know, yeah. maybe dealing with it was checking up on them and being sure they were okay, which he didn't have to do that, but he did. That's just the kind of person he was. Right. And, I, best. and that, that speaks volumes, which is why, you know, all law enforcement officers out there, you know, the vast majority, you say he didn't like writing. They, we don't like writing tickets. It's, part, it's just part of the job. But we're also human. Yeah. So when that fatality accident happens, you know, it's, it's horrible to give a death notification. And so obviously the way he did that was personal. Yes. Because he took it personal. Mm-hmm. And then that's why they kept in touch with him for that long. And just like the stories Tyler was sharing this morning, just about taking on his days off, going and riding with Tyler to make sure he was going to be safe mm-hmm. as a young officer, that, that doesn't happen anymore. No, no, he really was. A, he was a very good person. He was he, a good cop. He was. Like, no bullshit. This dude was a good cop. To this day, there was a, there was a podcast. <clears throat> so there was a podcast that I was telling you about, Devil's Town. Yeah. Gilmer. Okay. okay. So this theory of this missing woman was referenced back to Scott Burns. Scott stops a woman or excuse me, a man that had two uh, mentally disabled people in the vehicle that was headed towards uh, coming into Marion County from Upshur County. They had some sexual paraphernalia, multiple sexual paraphernalia inside the vehicle. Uh, We can kind of expand upon that. Use your mental I, you know, your mail, your, <laughs> use your imagination, imagination there. Uh, and what, what, what Scott found out and you may, you may not know this story. Uh, they were headed to Shreveport. Scott stopped him for a tail lot that was out. Uh, the middle, the, the, the girl was mentally han- handicapped. She was, uh, I think she was 17 or 16. And the guy had a lot of, uh, videotape equipment inside the vehicle. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. I forgot all about that. And so what they found, um, there was a 22 pistol in the vehicle. Scott immediately notifies CID. Uh, the Rangers didn't come out, but a CID guy came out. They executed a search warrant on the guy's house, and it busted wide open child pornography case. And that's the one that was in Gilmer they were talking about in that podcast. Absolutely. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. But it was because of Scott's work. But it yeah. that was just one of many of what of what Scott he he liked that's what he that was his bread and butter. He didn't like writing tickets or working with town. That was he liked the criminal aspect uh, of of the BPS mentality. That's what he liked doing. Well, but that traffic stop is what led to that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So but, he was good at what he did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Michaela, I enjoyed meeting you. Yes, it was nice to meet you, too. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, this has been a heavy episode, uh, but we're going to end it with three rapid-fire questions. Really, I guess I'll end it with both of you guys if you want to. Okay. Uh, well, she's already had her rapid-fire one, so I'm <laughs> curious to see if her answers are going to change. They're probably not. They're probably not. I've actually been thinking about them more. <laughs> good, good. I felt like I... I froze the last time a little bit. All right. All right. So, both of you, favorite line or favorite cop movie? Favorite line from a cop movie or favorite cop movie? Favorite patrol car and favorite drink? Go ahead. Okay. So, the only thing that changed this time was I still like Bruce Willis in Die Hard movies. Okay. Best Christmas movie ever. Yes. I do like it when he says yippee-ki-yay, but I also like it when he says... Hey, asshole. I love that. <laughs> but when I left, I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't say this. 
Dirty Harry. Dirty Come Harry. on, how can you not? You know, great, great. Come yeah. on. Yep. All right. I couldn't believe I forgot that one. Um, I still like the Camaro. Right. The, the the you know the DPS Camaro. Um, what was it? Oh, drink martini. It's still a dirty, dirty martini. Dirty, dirty martini. And if I want to switch it up, you know, I like Cape Cods too, but I really, really like dirty martinis. <laughs> so I have a son that lives in Boston who goes to Cape to, to Cape Cod quite a bit. So I got to ask him how his Cape Cod game is. Uh, it, I've never had one. It's vodka cranberry with lime. It's just a fancy word of saying a vodka cranberry. Uh, uh, yeah, with lime. Try it out. Never it's had good. one. We're a little too. Uh, Small townish for the Cape Cod. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is a Linden girl or an Atlantic girl. No, Atlanta. 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 Step up from Linden. Mont's okay. Bellevue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Mont's Bellevue now. Mont's yes. Bellevue. Well, you know, I'm a, so so I have listened to every podcast, like every one of them. And I got to give a shout out to Dallas ATO because I listen to theirs Absolutely. every week also. Joe King. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say my, my favorite. I thought about this long and hard, and it's going to have to be Dirty Harry. It's the best movie with, you know, the best line, you know, do you feel lucky, yeah. you know, punk. I will say, End of Watch is another great cop movie. Oh, yeah. I've seen Very that. heavy, and I like how it starts off with yeah. the whole thing, I'm a police officer. Probably I the best one that depicts law enforcement. Yeah, that was a really good one. Is that the one with Jake Gyllenhaal? It is. I don't, actually, I haven't watched that. It's heavy. It, it's, I didn't yeah. know if I was ready for that. It's heavy. Yeah, I don't know. I can't watch Live PD either. Yeah. Any, or no, Body Cam, I can't watch that either. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. Crown Vic. Crown Vic. Clint McNair. Write it down. <laughs> Tony Wright. Clint McNair. Got to say Crown, Crown Vic. Vic. Thank you, sir. Best car ever. 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 And, uh, you know, the official the official drink of the TMPA field drop, it may not be fancy, but we're not fancy. That's right. It's Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark. It's good. It's pretty good. Well, yeah. The, the, now, the official mixed drink, we can't go Cape Cod. It's going to have to be the old-fashioned. Yeah. yeah. And if you ever find yourself in Mineral Wells, Texas, the best old-fashioned oh. is at Coffee and Cocktails at the corner right across from the Baker Hotel. Hmm. Yeah, I'm about to try that out. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go. Hey, I appreciate you co-hosting today and interviewing me. But I love it. Yeah, great love time. It. Great time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Hey, I appreciate you coming back for the second round. Hey, if you need me for round three, I'm here. <laughs> well, oh, God, <laughs> please don't say that. Oh, God, that'd be so bad. That'd be horrible. <laughs> that wouldn't that be bad? Tyler, oh, go. My. Oh, my gosh. I felt so bad for him, but he said oh. I lost everything. You're not going to believe it. I mean, yeah. it gave me more time to get my hair fixed and I, Botox I waited, done, and waited, but, you know. waited. I kept looking at the phone, <laughs> and I kept waiting for the phone to call you, and I'm, Janet was like, "What? what when you, are you going to call her? I was like, I really don't want to. I mean, I, I was hoping the audio would show up, but it, it never did. So. Oh, I was excited because I was like, yes, I get, you know, I get my hair done, get some Botox, <laughs> and they still couldn't fit me in. I was like, no. So <laughs> this is me. <laughs> All its glory. Well, you guys, uh, you guys stay safe out there. This has been a heavy, heavy, heavy episode. Thank you for uh, taking time to listen. Uh, again, Michaela, thank you for coming down. It was my pleasure. Tony, Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and uh, hope to have you back. Anytime. Absolutely. Anytime. You guys hit that subscribe button, hit the download button. Uh, man, we love you guys. Stay safe. God bless you guys. And as always, may God bless Texas. We're out.